Let me tell you about my friend and former coworker Jennifer Nations. Now, you know Jennifer. She's the City of College Station's Water Resource Coordinator and also the host of KAMU's very own Waterful Wednesday segment. Now, this is a woman who is passionate about water. I mean, nerdy passionate, like wearing earrings shaped like toilets, nerdy. She calls herself the water chick, right? And Jennifer might be the loudest and proudest and most influential local voice when it comes to the importance of conserving water and how to do it. In College Station, she'll come to your house for free. She'll check your irrigation system to make sure it's working right and that it's on a good schedule. And she tells us what to do when freezing weather is coming or how to do the least harm to your pipes during or after a freeze. When we work together at the city during winter storm Uri, you can bet I kept her on speed dial to answer questions from the media and to put out helpful information for customers or just knock down some ridiculous rumors that were circulating. She's kind of the real deal. And she's my guest today. Welcome to Brazos Matters. I'm Jay Sokol. Welcome, Jennifer Nations, Water Resource Coordinator for the City of College Station and host of Waterful Wednesdays Thank you. on KAMU. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah? Mm-hmm. This is like uh, a home for you because you do Waterful Wednesdays all the time. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I can record it at City Hall and send it over, but I actually like coming over here and doing it. We like you coming over here and doing okay. it. And uh, Jennifer and I worked together at the City of College Station from 2009 to 2022. Mm-hmm. And we knew each other in a lifetime before that. Yes. So we've had a bunch of conversations like the one we're going to have today. That's right. So I'm going to pick your brain a little bit, and and we can hit some things that I have on my mind, but you may have plenty of additional things on yours as well. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. So let's start out with the obvious thing. I mean, it is hot, Mm -hmm. and um, that means I'm sure that people are throwing more water on their yards and in their flower beds, and, and so I would assume that consumption has started to go way up, yeah? Yeah, I checked the numbers this morning. You know, through last week, we were only pumping around, it was like 11 million gallons a day, and then it got up to 13, and then we had some rain, and it would drop back down. But um, we, over the weekend, we went up to 18 million gallons a day. And that's, we have plenty of capacity for that, but um, the issue that we'll run into is that um, in July of last year, this, late June last year is right about the time that things started amping up this time last year in June we were already pumping more than 18 million gallons a day but it came on kind of fast Mm. and I think that might be what's happening here Um, and people just start you know they immediately go from watering um, as soon as they turn on their sprinklers it's like we're going to water three days a week four days a week and we're going to do 40 minutes of zone and we're not going to check if we have any broken sprinklers and we're just going to let it run and then if everybody's doing that then the towers start draining really fast, and then it's just, it's a mess. <laughs> yeah. Now, since you and I were working together, um, you've added a tower. I mean, you've activated a tower, yes. correct? Mm-hmm. Talk about the, what that has done for capacity. So that adds an, a whole 3 million gallons more of elevated storage. So that helps with water pressure, and it serves just the east side of town. So... The area from like Rock Prairie South, the Pebble Creek neighborhoods, the Scott and White Hospital. So um, that's actually really good because the difference in elevation um, with the lower lying neighborhoods like Pebble Creek and Stone Forest and stuff, um, 
when there's a great difference in height between where the water tower is and your faucet, you're going to have higher water pressure. And that's going to make your sprinkler system use more water than it's designed to. Mm. So with us um, leveling out the pressure a little bit more, I think that will help our um, system over the summer. So are you uh, in the mode, I assume you are, of where as you drive down our streets and you're looking for uh, concrete being watered, are you in that Mm -hmm. mode where you're like, I am so going to get after this person? Yes. (laughs) Kind of already. Um, But I'll start... I'll be nice first. You know, I'm I'm trying to just reach out to the neighborhoods um, initially and just have the HOA managers tell their residents, hey, please don't water the concrete. Please don't water during the middle of the day. And I'll just start putting that message out. But then, I mean, if it's something where a sprinkler is just like pointing into the street, then that warrants a pullover and, hey, go fix this, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right I, I forget. I should, I should remember this. But are there ordinances that kind of uh, address... Yes. What, talk about that. So we've got an ordinance, um, and I tell people um, sprinklers nixed 10 to 6, like no watering, no overhead spray irrigation, and that includes if you're hooking a, a sprinkler up to your hose um, at noon. You can't do that, um, although people do that. It's, what, it's after 10 a.m. now, I guess, as we're recording this, and I guarantee that there are sprinklers running, and there will be sprinklers running at 2 o'clock this afternoon, but you're not supposed to do it. Is that seasonally or year-round? I when I redid the drought plan in 2019, I just put it in for year round because I figured, you know, water's it's going to evaporate more in the summer, but it's still waste. So and then also I thought it would be confusing for people to go, wait, can I water in the middle of the day in January, but not in July? And, you know, they wouldn't be able to remember or our code compliance people wouldn't be able to remember. So I just said, I'll just do it the whole year. But technically, that's an ordinance violation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would be a, what, a classy or what? Um, I think it's just, um, it might just be like a simple ticket, but we can process those through municipal court. Hmm. Um, but, you know, the easiest thing, we like to say um, educate before you citate. Yes. Um, you know, we can just get people to fix their irrigation systems versus writing them a ticket. But if they continue to do it, then, yeah, they can yeah. they can be issued a ticket. So. Now, you're still doing free, free uh, irrigation system checkups, right? Yep. What does that look like? Would you, if somebody requests one, you show up to somebody's house, what what happens next? Yeah, so uh, like the one that I did earlier today, um, I showed up to the house and I, um, I read the water meter before we started. And then I went to the irrigation controller and I documented all of their current run times and the days of the week that they watered and the start times that the controller comes on. And then we go through each zone and I look are the sprinklers, um, you're supposed to have what's called head-to-head coverage, like the spray from one sprinkler is supposed to go all the way to the other sprinkler. Mm. Um, so I'll look for that. I'll look for some design issues, like the older systems um, will often have sprinklers spraying over paved areas. And per state law now, that's not allowed. If you design a new system now, like, you know, the walkway that goes up to the house? Sure. And you have the two spots of turf on either side. So you can't have sprinklers spraying over that. That's a state law? It's a state law. It, it's funny, though, because like good irrigation design would design the irrigation system so that it's conserving water and only watering the green stuff. Yeah. But it it literally took an, an act of law <laughs> to get that um, design practice implemented. So <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you say that. Wow. Yeah. yeah there's there's a whole list of um, 
requirements that irrigation systems have to comply with. And I've I've seen a couple of systems that I look at them and I go, uh, I'm not sure that that was inspected or if it was if they had the system designed a certain way that when it was being put in, were they actually looking at the plan? You're supposed to have an irrigation system plan. It's supposed to have everything marked with the flow rate and um, the run times and a, a north arrow, the irrigator's license. And then they're supposed to, when the system is being put in, that's supposed to be followed. And then if they find out that there's a tree root in the way or there's a plant or some structure and they have to move an irrigation line or an irrigation head, they're supposed to mark that up on the plan, mm-hmm. it, like an as-built plan. Um, and then they're supposed to give all of that to the irrigation system owner. Um, and that's been law and city ordinance since 2009. But I... I question sometimes if that (laughs) actually happens. (laughs) So you put out a lot of information from the city of College Station, uh, especially through the city's blog. Mm -hmm. There's so much water-related content, which is terrific. So if anybody has questions, no matter what the season is, uh, and it's a water-related question, go to blog.cstx.gov because there's just a ton of good information from you from all of these years. But it seems like it's been the cold weather related content that has really had the most views and people (laughs) are most interested in. Like that's when your expertise really flexes uh, at a time that people need it. Is that right? Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, Yeah. You know, I've, I've tried to, um, put out more cold weather information. And again, it kind of goes back to irrigation, like make sure that you're not running your sprinkler system when we're going to have a freeze because then um, we're going to have the cars go slippy slidey on the pavement. But then also, you know, when we had um, what I call snowvid, you know, when we had the freeze in February of 2021, Mm -hmm. um, I found out later that our fire department was going out and responding to calls, but people were calling 911 because they didn't have water, but it was because... You know, it wasn't really a a medical or a, I mean, I guess you could call it a health emergency if you don't have water to flush your toilets and wash your hands and stuff. But um, like the water department can also help with that. So um, I've tried to do be more proactive about if we're going to have a freeze, find out where your home's water shutoff is, find out where your irrigation system shutoff is and go shut that off and cover your pipes and that kind of thing. Yeah. City of College Station has has been conservation-minded as long as I've been paying attention. And you have contributed greatly to that. Is that something that you feel like is sort of uh, in kind of in the DNA of the organization? Or is that because Jennifer Nations is doing what Jennifer does? I kind of feel like um, the the initial impetus was from me. Um, in fact, um, many, many years ago, uh, I just... You know, I was newly arrived from California, new into the job, and I thought, we need to conserve water because that's a great thing, and that's what I grew up doing in California. And um, so I put forth this budget proposal for a not insignificant conservation curriculum thing, and the at the, the response that came back was, wait, we're going to conserve water, so we're going to sell less, so we're going to have less money coming in. No, we don't want to do this. And who who's proposing this? Do we need this position on staff? Because it was during budget hearings. Mm-hmm. And so I got the message to just dial it back a little bit. But then um, in 2008, 
we had um, the economic downturn, and um, but then that's also when the Green College Station program started. Right. Um, and at that time, I was able to make the case that, hey, if we're pumping less water, we're spending less on electricity and chemicals, and so it's actually a savings for us. Mm-hmm. And then with the Groundwater Conservation District, um, all of the permit holders pay fees based on their pumping, to the groundwater, the Brazos Valley Groundwater Conservation District. So if we're pumping less water, then we're paying less in fees to the district as well. So it ends up being a net positive. Yeah, I remember promoting all the conservation messaging and occasionally somebody would tell me, you guys don't really want people to use less. I know you say it, but you don't mean mm-hmm. it because that means you, you guys make less money. So yeah, I, I, I'm sure you still hear that too. Yeah, and you know it, it was uh, less pumping, less money when we had a uniform rate, but now we have the graduated rates, um, really just for the residential single-family class. But um, we put those in place when we started really getting into conservation because we wanted to send the message. You know, if if somebody's putting a hundred thousand gallons or more of water onto their lawn every month, that's way too much, and so we want to send that price signal that says, "Hey, you know, we because." Um, drilling another well to support that kind of uh, water usage, that costs millions and millions of dollars. Mm. And we don't want to do that if we don't have to. Yeah, makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I know you are very active in your professional associations and and you, you communicate with your peers quite a bit at conferences and so forth. What are some of the things that you guys are talking about? What are, what are issues in your profession? So, yeah, I have a uh, regular meeting with um, some water utility communicators from um, the uh, public uh, information officer for uh, Fort Worth Water. She's, um, I'll just, I'll name drop her, Mary Googly is a Mary G. Um, I've followed her for a number of years. She's kind of mentored me and she's gathered several of us together and we meet um, once every month or every other month or so. And we just talk about what are some public uh, communication challenges that you're dealing with? What are some uh you know, stumbling blocks that you see coming up. And she's really good. She's plugged in at the National American Water Works Association level. And uh, she's really plugged into upcoming regulations. And so she'll tell us, hey, be worried about this, be thinking about this, get a communications plan ready. Um, She's been the one that's been um, helping us all on our lead communication and our PFAS communication. And, you know, you need to worry about this. You need to have this kind of message. So, Hmm. yeah, that's good. Okay. Tell me about some other things that I, I, you probably brought a list of items. Uh, so, so <laughs> tell, tell, yeah. So tell me what's on your list. So on my list of things that I'm going to be looking at and kind of some communication challenges that I see coming up are um, like what I just mentioned, um, PFAS. That's something that I'm getting a lot of questions about. Um, it's perfluoral alkyl substances and it's PFOA and PFAS, it's, um, we're discovering the, they're called forever chemicals. Um, another class of chemical that falls in that group, it's also called uh, the Gen X chemical, which I find hilarious being a member of Generation X. Same. <laughs> yes. But these are uh, chemicals that were used in um, firefighting foam, um, waterproofing, um, nonstick pans, you know, everything that's made our life easy for like the last 50 or 60 years. Um, the manufacturing process if um, will 
the chemicals will get into soil. They'll get into water. Um, it's in our bodies already. Um, I'm here to bring gloom and doom to everyone. <laughs> yeah, lighten it up a little bit, please. <laughs> so now that we're finding that these chemicals are in the environment, now we have to look at, all right, how much is too much and how do we get rid of them? And um, the EPA, uh, as they do, they turn to water utilities and said, oh, you have it in your water. We're going to propose standards for your water and um, then you have to figure out a way to get rid of them. And water utilities are like, we didn't put it in there. Mm. (laughs) It came from the manufacturing. But um, as happens with other regulations, once something is in the water, it becomes the water utility's responsibility to remove it. So do do those levels, uh, reported levels, detected levels, do they get put into your drinking water report each year? Um, Yeah, that's a great question. So we have... um, Uh, primary drinking water standards that we report on and then we also have and so those are the things that if we bust that level then we've we have violated the safe drinking water act then we also have the secondary drinking water standards which are just things like the things that everybody complains about with college stations water the sodium the total dissolved solids the ph Um, those are not drinking water violations but we include those in the report anyway then the epa also does what what's called the unregulated contaminant monitoring rule they'll just put out monitoring every few every few years. Let's just go have utilities do some monitoring for the for these chemicals and see where they're at, what prevalence they are in water systems. So this coming year in 2023, we're going to sample for the PFAS chemicals. And so if we find them, then they will be in included in next year's report. Okay. But given that our water comes from an aquifer that's 3000 feet deep and it's confined, I really don't think that we will find them. Um, so I don't expect to, but, you know, of course, if we found anything that was in the unregulated contaminant monitoring role, monitoring, we would put it in the report. By the way, for anyone who might say, oh, the Bryan water is so much better than the College Station water, or Texas A&M's water is so much better mm-hmm. than College you want to give a little uh, plug for the quality of water and, and sourcing and so forth? Yeah, it's and uh, spoiler alert, it's all the same. Right. It's, we're all getting it from the same aquifer. Um, it's going through the same treatment process. We've all got our cooling towers that have um, massive amounts of steam coming out because from 3,000 feet deep, the water's coming out at about 118 degrees Fahrenheit. And we put chlorine in it for disinfection just a little bit. And that's it. I mean, we have such a good source of water around here. Imagine a big glass of water and you've got what, at least three straws in it from uh, the two cities and uh, mm-hmm. A&M, maybe more than that. But same source, same stuff. Yeah. So three three main so- three main straws. But um, another thing that I'll be looking at and keeping tabs on, um, I and many other people, um, is there are um, export permits at the Groundwater Conservation District mm-hmm. now. So people will get... Um, permits to um, pump water and then export that to some customer, you know, maybe somewhere else. And well, if it's an export permit, it goes outside the boundaries of the district. Um, Texas water law does not allow groundwater conservation districts to say, no, no, this is our groundwater. It has to stay within our boundaries. But, you know, so if somebody comes in and says, oh, we want to pump the water and transport it, they can't say no. But what the Groundwater Conservation District can do is look at their groundwater availability model and look at their desired future conditions, which is in 50 years, we want the aquifer to have X amount of water in it. And if that level of pumping is supported, then they will permit it. 
Where is some of our water being exported? Do you know? Um, I don't know okay. yet. Um, I can I can guesstimate that, you know, you look at Williamson County doesn't have a groundwater conservation district, and it's a suburb of the Austin area. That area is just growing so, you know, Hutto, Round Rock, Taylor, that, that area is growing so fast. I would speculate that it's probably going there, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to know... Uh, exactly what is present in our water, in our drinking water. There is there is an annual report. Mm-hmm. Where can people find that? They can find that at cstx.gov slash water report. And uh, we revamped it a little bit this year. Um, I, I love to steal ideas from other uh, water utilities. So I looked at um, City of Mansfield and they have a really neat little water report website hmm. where there's little section headings for the lead and copper statement and the uh, regulated contaminants and stuff like that. So um, we had the wonderful people in public communications design the report. I gave them th- the information. They made it look pretty and readable. Um, and then they also created a website where um, all of that information is clickable and searchable. So You have talented people to work with there. We do. You know some of them. I do know some <laughs> of them. What else is yeah. on your list? Um, let's see. Um so National Water Quality Month is in August, so I'll really be pushing um, the the drinking water quality in August, even though we release the report every year in July. In July, that's Smart Irrigation Month, so I'm going to be pushing Smart Irrigation this month. Um, and then we're going to be doing some more um, testing for lead and copper um, as we move forward next year. All water utilities have to have a um, inventory of their lead service lines and um, and then go sample for lead and copper at schools. Um, that's something that we haven't done before. Now, when you're talking about the service lines, are mm-hmm. you talking about between the meter and a home or a Correct. building? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there may be um, a lead service line between like the water main and the meter, and that would be the utility's responsibility to get rid of. Um, this is another benefit of College Station being so young. We it's very likely that we don't have very much of that um, as opposed to, let's say, Fort Worth, you know, some of the older cities. Yeah. Um, but we're going to go and do that inventory. And then if we find that there's a uh, service line in between the meter and the home, then we educate the customer about, you know, this is how you can replace it. And um, these are some of the risks. And, and we're going to do more um, sampling also to um, get a better handle of, you know, is there any lead contamination in our water. The good thing is all of the sampling that we've done in years past has shown that we really don't have an issue with the water um, conditions leading to lead leaching into the water. So we're in a good situation. Are all cities doing this right now? Yes. And so so at no cost, I guess, you get to request... uh, you know, city crew to come out and do that. Um, some cities, some cities are doing it at no cost. Other cities are um, saying, you know, you can do it, but it's on your dime. It, that part is left up to uh, the cities. Got it. Yeah. And what what does that testing process look like? What do they do? Um, they will, you know, when you look at the building records, you look at, um, uh, you can do some like scratching of the line and see if there there's some tests that you can do to see if the line is um, lead or if it's galvanized um, or something. And then um, the sampling of the water itself, that requires uh, filling a one liter bottle and it has to be the first draw water sample. The water has to sit in the pipe for a few minutes. So you can't like get up and flush the toilet or you can't get up and start making your coffee. You've got to get up and fill the sample right away. And this is the only testing that we re- that we rely on the customer to do it. Hmm. So it's 
first draw water sample. So it's early in the morning. They haven't gone to the bathroom yet. They haven't had their coffee. And we want them to follow detailed sampling instructions. Okay. Yeah. So if if a College Station water customer has questions about that, what what should they do? Um, they, they can uh, call me and I'll direct them to our environmental technicians. And then... Um, Again, shout out to our wonderful public communications people. We'll be developing a section of our website that has a lot more information about lead and uh, lead in water and what you can do and answering questions and all that. Okay. So stand by because more information is coming. Absolutely. You want to talk a little bit about this. This seems like an issue that pops up every once in a while. Talk about accuracy with water meters. Oh, yeah. Um, usually they tend to run slow as they get older. So when someone says, oh, there's no way I use this much water, you should replace my water meter, we'll say, all right, you go ahead and do that. And then they end up actually having a higher bill later because the new meter is more accurate. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, water meters are smart meters or no? Um, not really. We we have this, some are the the digital water meters, but they, um, when they were replaced a few years ago, they were made direct read. Like somebody has to go and read it mm-hmm. because the rest of the water meters are also direct reads. So, um, yeah, that's unfortunate. But if uh, I guess the next step uh, to convert them to smart meters, it won't be uh, super onerous. Like, aren't these right. meters convertible? They, yeah, we're trying to any new meters that we put in, we're trying to make sure that they can be converted um, because that. To me, that really is the future. Um, then you can have the customer portal that shows um, you can, you know, where you can set limits, or we can look at, um, like Frisco. Um, their conservation person told me that he was looking at accounts that had that never went to zero, yeah. and he looked at accounts that have really high usage, and he was going and notifying people that they might have leaks. And it's just such it's a powerful conservation tool. It's a powerful customer education tool. Um, so I, I really hope that we move to that as yeah. soon as we can. Okay. So with the last minute or so of our time, it's all yours. How do you want to use it? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to pitch? Um, goodness. Do you uh, want to <laughs> waggle your finger at us? You want to give us warnings? <laughs> yeah. Um, I want. I really want everybody to um, understand the value of their water. I mean, I'll just say only tap water delivers public health, um, environmental or economic growth. Um, what is it? Uh, Oh, now I'm forgetting the four pillars, but um, tap water is where it's at and it's undervalued and I want everybody to value it more. Our tap water is good water. It is. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's relatively inexpensive unless you're putting 100,000 gallons on your lawn and then I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, when you see folks um, drinking bottled water, you want to slap it out of their hands? Absolutely. <laughs> good for you. Absolutely. That's why you're the uh, self-described water chick, correct? That's right. Jennifer Nations, Water Resource Coordinator for the City of College Station and host of Waterful Wednesdays right here on KAMU. Thank you so much for the talk. Thank you so much for having me. Not only can you hear Jennifer's Waterful Wednesdays segment on KAMU every Wednesday morning at 742, and I know that's really specific, but you can find the entire archive of her segments on our website. And she's written and recorded an entire library of helpful water-related content that you can find on the City of College Station's blog. Go to blog.cstx.gov, just type in Jennifer Nations into the search box, and that will keep you busy for a long time. Brazos Matters is a production of Aggieland's Public Radio, 90.9 KAMU-FM, a member of Texas A&M University's Division of Marketing and Communications. 
Our show was engineered and edited by program director Matt Dittman. You can learn more about us and check out all the Brazos Matters interview archives at kamu.tamu.edu slash radio. I'm Jay Sokol. Thanks for joining us.